Hello everyone, thank you so much for joining us. My name is Samia Dadu and with Shelza Sharma, I am a co-founder of Detention Solidarity, an online space to critically engage with the structures and experiences of detention that constitute the carceral state in India. Before we get started in earnest, I wanted to uh, make a few announcements. Uh, today's panel will be in English and in Hindustani at parts. Uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube or Facebook, but will require language interpretation, we encourage you to join in on Zoom. You can find the link on any of our social media accounts or the anti-carceral politics website. With the help of some of our very gracious uh, volunteers, we have interpretations available in Marathi, Tamil, uh, Telugu, English and Hindustani. So uh, just to clarify, when someone speaks in Hindustani, the English channel will also be active. ISL or Indian Sign Language interpretation will also be available on your screens. So to access the interpretation, you will be able to see uh, on the bottom uh, panel of your Zoom screen a uh, button shaped like a globe which says interpretation and switch between different languages. All right, I'll introduce our panelists for today. We have with us Mirza Saib Beg, who is a Kashmiri lawyer and a Kofi Annan and Weidenfeld Hoffman scholar at the Blavatnik School of Government, University of Oxford. We also have with us Jenny Rovina, who is a teacher at a college in Delhi University and the partner of Professor Hani Babu, who has been unjustly imprisoned in the Bhima Koregaon case. And we have with us Abdul Wahid Sheikh, who is a school teacher, lawyer, activist, and author of Beguna Kedi, which recounts his experience of wrongful incarceration for nearly a decade and of others similarly implicated in terror cases. Before we hear from our panelists, Shells and I would like to say a few words to start us off. So, whether it is uh, the mothers of Manipur holding up the banner of uh, Indian Army Repas, the whispered histories of Kunan Poshpora, uh, Nirmala Akka's 12 years of captivity and charges in 159 separate cases, unjust imprisonment of Abdul Wahid Sheikh and uh, Mohammed Amir Khan and many others, or even the wrongful arrests and repeated harassment of members of Dalit communities in cases where they are themselves the complainants. From various Rihai manchas across the country uh, to anti-caste movements, trade union movements, social justice movements across time and space uh, of all social and political movements, the rallying cry has been very simple. Uh, the state controls and crushes human existence. In thinking about anti-carceral frameworks, it is not our task to convince the trans man or woman who is at the receiving end of constant police surveillance and harassment about the failures of reform, nor do the members of the denotified tribal communities have to be told that the police is casteist. The Adivasis of Central India already understand who is coming for their land and trapping them in false cases. And Muslims of this country very well know how khaki bleeds saffron today. It is not those who are intuitive, articulate, and politically charged against the carceral security state we are convincing. It is us, those of us who have the privilege of asking for reforms today and have been incessant in asking for reforms since time immemorial. Because reforms are not only not coming, they don't destabilize the central ideas of safety and security and justice on which the carceral state is built. And it is these ideas that are nothing short of persistent violence against marginalized communities. 
thus we use the language of anti-casteality in an attempt to piece together a rich history of resistance and work uh, against the car- carceral logics of the state a state which is bent upon literally and figuratively capturing in whatever way or form thinking loving and living human beings reducing them to numbers statistics or cases and dehumanizing them the carcer- the carceral security state is an instrumentalization of cruelty against human beings uh, whether through the means of legal institutions or extra legal means it is our humble submission uh, that against our modern state reforms will never be enough in this vein today's discussion will bring to the fore how certain laws are considered to be exceptional special laws like the unlawful activities prevention act 1967 uapa sedition and a number of other state specific laws that are meant similarly to quote unquote protect the nation these laws are used uh, not only to justify long term preventive detention uh, but to also justify certain targeted mistreatment including routine surveillance and discrimination of specific communities in occupied kashmir states of northeast jharkhand and chatisgarh religious minorities such as sikhs in punjab and muslims especially since the rise of the war on terror dalit and bahujan and adivasi persons and lawyers and journalists and activists who struggle alongside them so uh, today a key objective of our panelists uh, is to offer insights into the practices and logics of carcerality in the face of uh, the national security discourse and with that we invite our first panelist mirza to start today's discussion thank you samya and shelza Uh, so over the next 12 minutes i will just discuss a few legislations that are being used to suppress political demands of kashmiris and how kashmiris are criminalized for these demands uh, most notably the uapa the public safety act um, and the other other issues going on over there so i'll briefly touch upon the state of exception that kashmir is plunged into uh, a few cases of kashmiris under uapa and psa and the banning of social and political organizations that's going on right now in kashmir and if i have time i'll try to address two more points uh, which is first on the assumption of the legality of law because there's an assumption that much of what happens in kashmir is right because it is legal and that it is legal because it has the approval of the court and second on the nature of india's sovereignty in kashmir Uh, that appears to be so fragile that india justifies the arrest of minors uh, the administrative detention of political activists for decades and the house arrest of dissenting leadership in kashmir uh, so much of what uh, much of all of this happens without any orders on record so it takes place outside the realm of what is conventional legal procedure and when talking about kashmir it's important to highlight that the, the distinction between rule of law and the rule by law because oppression can be wielded effectively by segregating application of law such as in apartheid Af- south africa or by entirely extra judicial approaches altogether so i'll begin by discussing the structure of incarceration and the legal machinery involved because arbitrary incarceration is not just a tool of exemplary punishment but it is an indispensable part of governance in kashmir and data that has recently been accessed by 
two young Kashmiri law students. Uh, it is a reveal, and they access this under the Right to Information Act. It revealed that 91% of the people in jails of Jammu and Kashmir are under trial prisoners, uh, which indicates that merely 9% of the entire prison population is guilty and has been convicted. And uh, under the same, out of the total number of people in prison for militancy-related cases, merely 14 people have been convicted. The rate of conviction is less than 1.8%. So there's a huge number of people who are incarcerated uh, for decades. And these are the people who are not even arrested under Public Safety Act or preventive detention or who are political prisoners. So apart from the general prison population that is waiting for conviction or acquittal, there's a significant number of people who are under administrative detention as well, and as well as those who are political prisoners. Because J JNK is the only state where the Public Safety Act is applicable. So PSA detainees, Public Safety Act detainees, they are not given access to lawyers. And they must represent themselves since the proceedings take place before an administrative panel. So the detainees are not allowed legal representation until an appeal stage. But that appeal stage, which goes before a court, takes a significant time to be dismissed. And as of March 2021, as of March this year, there are over 200,000 civil and criminal cases pending in the court. So consequently, it takes several months for the case to even get listed before the court for a preliminary hearing. Um, but most shockingly, if we look at 2019, when thousands of arrests had been carried out uh, by the Indian government, in fact, the uh, Ministry of Home Affairs' own data uh, reveals that about 8,000 detentions had been carried out soon after August 5, when Article 370 had been deoperationalized and amended. Out of which there were 140 minors also, as was pointed out by the Supreme Court itself. But then this the, the finding was given to the charge of the finding was given to the Jammu and Kashmir High Court, who came back to say that there are no minors um, under detention. But out of those 8,000 people who had been arrested, there were about 500 petitions of habeas corpus which had been filed before the High Court, 554 to be precise. And all of these were in cases of preventive detention. But the court passed orders only in 5% of the cases. So only a total of 29 cases orders had been passed. So what I'm trying to establish here is that Kashmir is living in a state of indefinite emergency because laws like AFSPA, the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, uh, the Public Safety Act, the UAPA, these laws can exist in a constitutional vacuum where there's, an, there's a state of emergency. But having a governance structure which is based on these laws for decades indicates that exceptionalism, which is aimed at suspending the rights of Kashmiris, has now become a daily part of our lives. And Kashmir has been kept in this state of emergency to justify the exceptional practices which would have otherwise been seen as illegal. And in India, there's an assumption that these practices are legal because they've been approved by the court. So there are many leaders, many examples of people, the prominent um, people who have been kept in detention, uh, either without trial or even with a trial. We have in this last year, Mia Abdul Qayyum, who was the president of the Bar Association, who had been arrested and detained for a thought crime. The court in its order also said that his ideology was not in uh, consistence with the ideology of the nation, and uh, he had a secessionist ideology. So whether his ideology is good or bad is not the debate over here. The debate is that a person is being punished for his thoughts, for his political view, and uh, there is no action uh, that can be imputed to this person. But then again, we also have cases of people like uh, Qasim Faktu, who has now been in jail for 27 years under TADA. 
and under tada confessions that were given to a police officer were also permitted they were acceptable even though now it has been repealed but uh, kasim paktu is still imprisoned uh, we even have the case of yasin malik who was arrested after jklf was banned uh, jklf being one of the political organizations in kashmir uh, and jklf is um, it, it's it's an unarmed group right now it's a political group but yasin malik has been charged with offenses which he has supposedly allegedly committed 30 years ago and then again we have the most prominent case of uh, sayed ali shagilani who has been in house arrest since 2010 and he passed away uh, earlier this year while under house arrest and he was in his 90s and in any other circumstance uh, in any other situation there would be legitimate questions asked about why the national security of india is so fragile that it is threatened by a 90 year old man or it is threatened by minors and how is the national security paradigm of india being strengthened by incarcerating such people now in the experience of kashmiris the objective of such laws is not the protection of the people but it is precisely the incarceration of people and it is interesting that the public safety acts own procedure is often not followed most of the cases under on public safety act are dismissed on procedural ground and what this means is that the procedure which has been established under an already draconian law is also not being followed but even that kind of dismissal will take a few months to obtain and then again we have heightened harassment under the uapa also in kashmir we only have three special courts for uapa and people often have to travel hundreds of kilometers to get to these courts which makes it harder for lawyers as well as their family members to meet and there are plenty of examples of uh, an absolute non application of mind in passing of these orders one of a few of which i can highlight over here in this discussion one was where recently the uapa was imposed on a cricket tournament where there's a young boy sayed tajammul who is the 24 year old brother of a militant uh, an ex militant sayed ruban he had been killed in 2018 and while ruban was alive he had been a cricketer of some repute at the village so the fellow cricketers who used to play with him they offered funeral prayers in his memory and played a game of cricket and about a month later the boys who played at the match were all charged with uapa now offering funeral prayers or fatiha for any deceased person is performing an act of religious belief it cannot be criminal or unlawful and whether playing cricket in the memory of an armed rebel is a good idea or not is a different debate again but to charge these people under an anti terrorism law under which a person can be designated a terrorist and jailed for up to 7 years to charge them with this for playing cricket or for offering prayers is just an irresponsible and arbitrary application of a severe law with drastic consequences we also saw when after 2019 uh, and even in, in, even before uh, 2019 the internet has been shut down in kashmir quite frequently but after 2019 when the internet was banned for 6 months in kashmir after the first 6 months the government allowed kashmiris to access only about 300 websites which did not include social media websites but ironically this list of 300 websites included netflix and amazon prime while we barely had a functioning 2g speed connection and at that time the uapa was invoked against anyone who used a vpn to post on social media or to access social media so in this instance the police did not even need to justify that uapa is being imposed for unlawful activity just the mere access to internet was unlawful enough to be deemed to be a terrorist act so it did not matter if you accessed social media to post about your well being or just to connect with your friends 
the UAPA order which was passed was a blanket order that anyone who is accessing social media using VPNs, uh, virtual private networks to access social media, they would all be under this um, charge. So I have just a few minutes left and I'll quickly touch upon my last few points, uh, which is on the banning of the social and political organizations in Kashmir. So in 2019, the JKLF uh, was banned under the UAPA and the Jamaat has already been banned for some time before this. But since 1994, the JKLF had decided to pursue non-violent means for their political goals. And today they do not advocate for violence against the state, but they do espouse a political ideology for Kashmir that the Indian state does not agree with. And while the state may find it undesirable that such an ideology exists, but people cannot be charged with, with terrorism for just having differing ideologies. Because espousing a particular political ideology is not illegal, even if that does not synchronize with India's constitutional polity. And this is where we have to question the idea of national security, the idea of state sovereignty, and the idea of what freedom of thought is supposed to mean. It is a basic human right to think in terms of human aspirations. And the freedom of thought, the freedom of liberty, conscience, these are natural rights. They cannot be surrendered by any human being, because these are not rights that the state has bestowed upon us. These are freedoms which are ingrained in our in the human mind and soul. And our fear right now is that similar to Simi cases uh, and similar to many other UAPA cases that have taken place in many places in India, where people have been detained for having books which are unpalatable or books which raise suspicion. Uh, the same way, if people would now be found to have books or pamphlets or reading material published by the JKLF or material of the Jamaat in Kashmir, they would also be charged uh, with similar draconian legislations. And this makes it very easy for the state to curb any kind of discussion or any kind of discourse, political thought, which the state does not agree with. And this in no way meets any parameter of legality. So the police cannot detain a person merely because he or she has thoughts that the state does not like. But not only have we seen entire organizations being banned, we've also seen presidents of the bar association, lawyers who are being um, charged with having a, an ideology with the state does not agree with. And the court going to the extent of ordering them to establish by action and by word that their ideology has changed, that their thoughts have changed. And it's hard to find another place in the world where people can be punished for their thoughts, but we can see it happening uh, in Kashmir. So in conclusion, I, I would just say that these laws are destroying lives in a most arbitrary and most discretionary manner. And we need to continue to exert pressure by documenting and emphasizing how these laws prevent the truth from coming out in Kashmir. I'll be happy to take any questions towards the end. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you so much, uh, Mirza, for that. Uh, I'm now going to hand over to Jenny. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for giving me this uh, opportunity. And thanks for all the hard work that has gone into making this series possible. I'm also here as the wife of Hani Babu, who is an associate professor in Delhi University and who was incarcerated as the 12th person in the infamous Bhima Kurigaon case. This is the case that saw the arrest and detention of so many public intellectuals, activists, lawyers, and scholars. All of them kept in prison, and some of them from 2018 itself, by using UAPA and by accusing them of being Maoist on the basis of computers taken from their 
from them through raids and in these raids there were no uh, there was no foolproof protocol that was followed to prevent tampering moreover a forensic report by a reputed firm called arsenal has proved that some of the computers had malware placed in them which put these problematic files into the system of these people however the defense cannot prove anything uh, right now because the trial has not started and as per the uapa and its liberal reading in the vatali judgment police claims can be taken as prima facie evidence and a person can be incarcerated for years without trial after this unfair and uh, unjust uh, detention of my husband an obc muslim who is basically a person uh, working from an anti caste and muslim perspective and was engaged in questioning the castes policies of the university that is delhi university and who has contributed a lot towards the proper implementation of obc reservations in delhi university this has put an end to all his scholarly work and his own teaching and activism our family also has been deeply affected i am here to share some of the thoughts that come to mind given this situation in the bima koregaon case uh, two things are very clear one is that the notion of the security state is central to legitimizing these detentions that is without selling the idea of the urban naxal how to destroy the country and halt its progress people would have had a clearer understanding of the injustice involved in this case and secondly it is very clear this is an onslaught on those people who are raising their voices for various kinds of rights and against various injustices happening in the country because if you look at each one of the people arrested in the bima koregaon case you will see that uh, they are people to be celebrated for the committed work they have done either as, as part of resistance groups or in support of them also the initial elgar parishad formation as i come to understand now was a larger mobilization of dalits shudras and muslims under dalit leadership and in association with left groups in order to interrogate the right wing hegemony so it is this mobilization and the committed activism and intellectual contributions of so many powerful intellectuals that has now been put to a stop by the use of the criminal justice system and through notions such as the urban naxal which shows them as a threat to the welfare of the common indians when thinking about this the first thing that strikes me is that right groups in india including dalit and gender groups that have gained some visibility are somewhere located within the structure of the carceral state and most of the time any mobilization of identity groups often against violence against them ends in calls to the criminal justice system or demands for new legislations in other words as safura zargar pointed out in an earlier talk in the series we end up looking to the uh, looking for the protection of the state and the state can only comply from within the criminal justice system however today most oppressed groups are also increasingly realizing that this criminal justice system in india is highly abusive of marginal groups and identities and that it functions to serve the interest of the brahmin savarnas so the minute we talk about casteality we are faced with the problems in the rights discourse and the contradictions that we are forced to inhabit that is on the one hand work against the interest of the state or the casteal state even as we keep appealing to it 
This issue was discussed at length in an earlier series also. I want to add one uh, point to this, um, uh, one observation to this. So uh, if you look at uh, black politics, we can see that they always place the prison system and a call for its abolition at the center of their politics. But in India, you can see that this did not happen. Instead, what we have had is years and years of public discourse that continuously legitimizes the various oppressive aspects of the criminal justice system. For instance, most of our movies show us police brutality as a legitimate matter and also is inherently trapped in the police-thief binary, wherein the good hero stands as the police officer against the subaltern villain. Of course, as times, uh, times have changed and there are new combos of this, but the bi original binary is still the same. I think this happened because the state in India is given the role of the arbitrator between various warring groups and all groups, including families, are continuously approaching the police and the criminal justice system for justice. More importantly, and this is something that never comes much into most discussions, we are also subjects of a highly carceral culture, which has its own means of disciplining and punishment, which has existed from pre-modern times and which does not need any kind of modern missionary for its existence. In fact, modern state missionary is often powerless to administer over this caste missionary, which exists in culture. And that is why when submitting the final draft of the constitution, Ambedkar had talked about political and social democracy and how the constitution can only assure the former. Uh, we need to take this into account and see the aspect of carceral culture, which is what most of the marginalized in India are caught in. So when with Western modernity, the nation state came into being, what happened was that this carceral culture was just extended into the criminal justice system, especially because like all modern institutions, the criminal justice system was also captured and monopolized by the Brahmin Savarnas for maintaining their caste hegemony. In fact, what we have to think about here and this is something that Subara was trying to point out in his speech in an early uh, one of the series earlier. Uh, the structure of criminalization and violence in India is very ancient. As Fule has shown us, caste itself is a system that was envisaged to maintain monopoly for the Savarnas and to create boundaries and limits in terms of divisions of caste in order to maintain a cultural hierarchy that would serve the interest of the Savarnas. Even a cursory look at the legal system envisioned in an ancient text like Manusmriti will make this very clear. So with colonial modernity, two things happened. The anti-caste leaders started looking up to the colonial state for deliverance from the system in terms of reservation, political representation, educational opportunities, also protection from violence. And on the other hand, the Savarna community started monopolizing more and more modern institutions and worked along with the colonizers in envisioning the loss of the land in terms of caste Hindu hegemony and also captured the criminal justice system, which as mentioned earlier, is still today totally maintained by Savarnas in order to maintain their own hegemony. So na naturally, the lower caste came to be the victims of the system and they came to be most penalized because the original idea was itself to maintain their lower caste status just as the caste system had sought to do. However, in spite of this, from then to now, the anti-caste activism cannot but ap appeal to this castral state populated and captured by Brahmins and Savarnas as they are seeking deliverance from a daily culture of lynching, burning, rape and various other kinds of microaggression and also because they are trapped in a violently castral system which is further legitimized even by our most common myths and festivals. At least from Fule to Kanchaya, this is the one insight that has been put forward by Dalit Bahujan thinkers and which does not get into discussions of the castral state. 
and discussions on the castral state do not come into the Dalit Bahujan discourse too. And even the Muslim groups doing enormous works in terms of exposing the system and its violence towards Muslims have no other recourse but to seek protection from this same state. Similarly, think of the security state. Just like uh, the security state in India is consistently being popularized or was always popular in order to imagine internal and external others so as to, brand and sub, uh, to, uh, so as to maintain Savarna monopoly on all resources and modern institutions. However, what is interesting here is that given the close ties that most oppressed groups have, uh, groups have with the culture of this land and their own entrapment within it, often the names and categories generated by the security state like urban naxal, jihadi and terrorists are easily accepted without question and thus there is no public outrage against it. Moreover, the security state, as we all know, is also closely tied to nationalism and the need to preserve a nation and culture from threat and danger. And given that most of today's existing politics is framed within the nationalist discourse, with any kind of interrogation even becoming extremely dangerous and vulnerable to repression, the ideas and concepts that feed into keeping alive the imagination also constantly builds the security state, which in turn acts as to save national interests and works in instead to strictly maintain Brahmin hegemony. And the very political formations that are supposed to interrogate this and bring a change from this are itself trapped within the framework of the nation and the slightest deviance is brutally repressed. If we start to think of these issues, we come face to face with these contradictions and complexities. And even as we keep discussing, this generates more and more victims like my husband, who has spent the last one year in prison for being a committed and socially responsible person. Today, for his family, the immediate concern is to get him out of prison. And for this, we cannot do anything but keep going to the courts that are totally, totally Brahminical institutions, which is designed in every way to serve the interests of the Brahmin Savarna communities. And we are drowning in legalese and procedures that make no sense to us. If this is the case of privileged university people like us, imagine the majority of those who are the victims of the Indian criminal justice system, which seems to exist only to abuse their bodies and lives in order to maintain caste hegemony in this country. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jenny. Uh, that was within time. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm now going to hand over to Vaid Bhai. Hello, everyone. Uh, uh, salam. आदाब और शुक्रिया आज की इस मीटिंग में मुझे बुलाने के लिए और मुझे अपनी बात रखने के लिए जैसा कि आपने इंट्रोडक्शन में सुना है मेरा नाम वाहिद शेख है बॉम्बे से ताल्लुक है और मुझे एक बॉम्ब ब्लास्ट केस में पिछले नौ साल जेल में रखा गया और उसके बाद मैं जेल से रिहा होकर बाहर आया आपको ये भी पता है कि मैंने जेल में रहकर एक किताब लिखी थी जिसका नाम है बेगुनाह कैदी जो हिंदी उर्दू और इंग्लिश में अवेलेबल है इंग्लिश में उसका नाम है इनोसेंट प्रिजनर एक्चुअली जेल के दौरान मुझे ये फील हुआ कि भारत के अंदर जितने भी कानून बनाए जा रहे हैं खासतौर से टेरर रिलेटेड कानून बनाए जा रहे हैं और रिप्रेसिव कानून जो बनाए जा रहे हैं वो सारे कानून जो है एक खास मकसद के तहत बनाए जा रहे हैं ताकि जो डिसेंट लोग हैं जो मार्जिनलाइज लोग हैं जो माइनॉरिटीज हैं उनको टारगेट किया जाए और उनको परेशान करके जेल में रखा जाए अंदर जाने के बाद हमने टाडा होटा मोका यूएपीए कानून पढ़े और हमें समझ में आया कि ये कानून बहुत ही ज्यादा खतरनाक है और किसी को भी पुलिस इसके तहत जेल में 
लंबे अरसे तक रख सकती जब यू बना था उस वक्त मेरी पैदाइश हुई लेकिन हम समझते हैं कि भारत में जो कानून बन रहे हैं या जो अमेंडमेंट्स हो रहे हैं आम आदमी ये समझता है कि उस पर उसका कोई असर नहीं होगा ये सोच बहुत गलत है जब मैं पैदा हुआ था उस वक्त यू पार्लियामेंट के अंदर पास हुआ था लेकिन क्या पता था कि यही चल के कानून जो है मुझ पर लगेगा और मुझे इस कानून के तहत जेल में नौ साल काटने पड़े तो यो जो भी कानून बनाए जा रहे हैं जो गलत कानून बनाए जा रहे हैं जो अमेंडमेंट हो रहे हैं हम सब लोगों की जिम्मेदारी है कि हम उससे अपने आप को अलग ना समझे और उसके खिलाफ आवाज उठाए ये तमाम कानून सिर्फ इसलिए बनाए जा रहे हैं कि लोगों को जो है खामोश कर दिया जाए लोगों को जो है डिसेंट आवाज ना उठाने दिया जाए और जो डिक्टेटरशिप पूरे मुल्क में चल रही है उसके खिलाफ कोई आवाज ना उठाए मैंने किताब के बारे में बताया कि मेरी किताब बेसिकली ये बात करती है कि हिंदुस्तान एक पुलिस स्टेट है और जहां पर जहां पर ज्यादा से ज्यादा लोगों को जो है गलत केसेस में फंसा करके रखा जाता है और पुलिस को इतने पावर्स दिए गए हैं कि वो उसका गलत इस्तेमाल करते हैं इसके अलावा आप जानते हैं कि अभी हाल ही में बॉम्बे पुलिस कमिश्नर को जो है एक केस के अंदर जो है पकड़ा गया उसका नाम चल रहा है आपको पता है कि बॉम्बे पुलिस कमिश्नर जिनका नाम परमबीर सिंह है ये हमारे केस में इन्वेस्टिगेशन ऑफिसर थे ये हमारे केस में डीसीपी रह चुके हैं और इन्होंने हमारे केस में 12 से 13 मुस्लिम नौजवानों को बॉम्ब ब्लास्ट केस में फंसाया और ये वही ऑफिसर है जो आगे चलकर पुलिस कमिश्नर बने जिनके बारे में इस वक्त के सिटिंग मिनिस्टर नवाब मलिक का कहना है कि इन्होंने इंस्पेक्टर सचिन वाजे के साथ मिलकर के जो है अंबानी के घर के बाहर एक्सक्लूसिव कार पार्क की ताकि ये इंप्रेशन दिया जाए कि उनके घर के बाहर बम ब्लास्ट किया जाने वाला था नवाब मलिक ने बताया कि एक फेक पासपोर्ट पाकिस्तानी के नाम से बनाया जा रहा था और एक मुसलमान को उस पासपोर्ट की बुनियाद पर इनकाउंटर करके अंबानी के केस में फंसाने की पूरी कोशिश लेकिन उससे पहले ही वो हांडा फुट गया सचिन वाजे गिरफ्तार हो गया और उसके बाद जो है परमबीर सिंह का भी नाम जो है सामने आया तो जब आप सोचिए इतना बड़ा मेट्रोपॉलिटन सिटी है बॉम्बे इतना बड़ा शहर है और बॉम्बे पुलिस की बड़ी तारीफ होती है बड़ा नाम होता है लेकिन उस शहर का पुलिस कमिश्नर जो है इस तरह की हरकत करता है उसका पीछे मकसद क्या है वो पैसा कमाना चाहता है वो नाम कमाना चाहता है वो सियासी दबाव में ये काम कर रहा है या ये कि वो मुसलमानों को बदनाम करने के लिए माइनॉरिटी को सप्रेस करने के लिए कर रहा है कुछ भी मकसद हो सकता है लेकिन जो ये काम कर रहा है वो बहुत ही गलत है जब पुलिस कमिश्नर इन्वॉल्व है इस तरह के केसेस में फंसाने के लिए लोगों को तो आप समझ जाइए कि पुलिस के अंदर जो पुलिस फोर्स है उसका हर व्यक्ति हर आदमी किस तरह से सोचता होगा उसके अलावा आप जानते हैं कि सिमी नेरेटिव रखा गया भारत के अंदर सिमी आप जानते हैं स्टूडेंट इस्लामिक मूवमेंट ऑफ इंडिया और 2001 में जब इसको बैंड किया गया और उसके बाद पहले दो साल के लिए बैंड किया गया उसके बाद पांच पांच साल के लिए बैंड किया गया और बैंड करने के बाद जो है पिछले 20 सालों से सिमी पर बैंड लगाया गया अब इस बैंड को जारी रखने के लिए वो झूठे केसेस मुस्लिम नौजवानों पर लगाते हैं दो साल खत्म हो गया उनको और दो साल के लिए बताना है कि सिमी इनलीगल एक्टिविटी कर रही है तो उन पर जो है झूठे केस लगाए जाते हैं सेक्शन 153 ए के तहत 
सेक्शन 294 ए के तहत और यूएपीए सेक्शन 10 3 13 20 18 18 कई जगह कई सेक्शंस लगा के इन नौजवानों को पकड़ा जाता है मैं उन नौजवानों को जो इस केस में पकड़े गए हैं और जो छूट गए हैं एक्विटल हो गए हैं मैं उनके जजमेंट्स पढ़ता हूं तो मुझे बड़ी हैरत होती है कि ये किस तरह से मुस्लिम नौजवानों को फंसाने की एक पूरी फैक्ट्री चल रही और जब तक के सिमी पर बैन रहेगा और जब तक के उसको बैन को जस्टिफाई करना होगा ट्रिब्यूनल के सामने तब तक हमारी पुलिस इसी तरह से गलत केसेस मुस्लिम नौजवानों पर लगाती रहेगी इसलिए हमारी और आपकी ये जिम्मेदारी है कि अगर हम चाहते हैं कि माइनॉरिटीज के ऊपर खासतौर से मुसलमानों के ऊपर गलत केस ना लगे तो सीमी पर से बैंड उठाना पड़ेगा उसके लिए आवाज उठानी पड़ेगी उसके लिए कैंपेन चलाना पड़ेगा उसके साथ ही साथ मैं आपके सामने कुछ केसेस रखना चाहता हूँ जो पिछले दिनों बहुत ही अहम केसेस सामने आए इन केसेस को समझकर इन केसेस को देखकर आपको अंदाजा होगा कि किस तरह से झूठे केसेस हमारी पुलिस बनाती सूरत के अंदर गुजरात 2000 के अंदर एक मुसलमानों को गिरफ्तार किया और कहा गया कि ये लोग जो है सिमी के मेंबर्स है सिमी एक्टिविस्ट है और बैंड लगने के बाद भी दो में ये लोग जो है प्रोग्राम्स कर रहे दो में ये केस बनता है और एक लोगों को जो है प्रोसिक्यूट किया जाता है और ये केस जो है 20 साल चलता है आप देखिए इंडियन जुडिशरी कितनी सुस्त है कि आर्यन खान का मामला हो या सलमान खान का मामला हो तो रातों रात जो है अर्नब गोस्वामी गोस्वामी का मामला हो तो रातों रात सुनवाई करती है सिमी पर बैंड को कंफर्म करना है तो रातों रात अपने घर पर सुनवाई करती है लेकिन मुसलमानों का कोई ट्रायल चल रहा है तो उसको 20-20 साल तक के खींचा जाता है और आपको सुन के हैरत होगी कि सूरत का ये केस 20 साल के बाद एक्विटल हो गया उसमें से एक में से कुछ लोग जेल में मर गए कुछ लोग बाहर आके मर गए और 124 लोग उस केस से बाइजत बरी हो तो इतना बड़ा झूठ सिमी के नाम पर जो है खड़ा किया गया और इतने सारे लोगों को जो है फंसाया गया उसके साथ ही साथ आप देखिए कि टाडा का एक केस पुलिस का कहना है कि भुसावल के मुसलमानों ने जो है बमब्लास्ट की साजिश की थी और भुसावल के और आसपास के मुसलमानों को उसमें पकड़ा गया नौ मुसलमानों को अरेस्ट किया गया नासिक की कोर्ट में यह केस चलता है 25 साल टाडा कोर्ट के अंदर ये केस चलता है आप देखिए सिमी का केस यूएपीए का 20 साल चल रहा है टाडा का केस पच्चीस साल चल रहा है इतने लॉन्गेस्ट ट्रायल हिंदुस्तान में चल रहे हैं और इसका मकसद ये है कि मुस्लिम नौजवानों को परेशान किया जाए हरासा किया जाए और इनको किसी भी काम के लायक नहीं रखा जाए उस पीरियड में इनको नौकरी नहीं मिलती इनको पासपोर्ट नहीं दिया जाता ये अपने मुल्क से बाहर नौकरी के लिए जा नहीं सकते इनको हमेशा इनके सर पर लटकती हुई तलवार रहती है कि कभी भी इनको गिरफ्तार किया जा सकता है दूसरे केसेस के अंदर इनके ऊपर जो है टेररिज्म का टैग रहता है इनको जो है सोसाइटी में अच्छी निगाह से नहीं देखा जाता है और हर जगह इनको परेशानी होती है पच्चीस साल के बाद ये जो है केस छूट जाता है जिसमें एक शख्स का नाम है एक का नाम है सैयद मुमताज मीर मुजफ्फर मीर मैं जब उनसे मिला तो वो जब जेल गए थे तो वो जवान थे और अब जब उनका केस बाइजत बरी हो गया है तो वो बिल्कुल बूढ़े हो चुके हैं 25 साल के बाद जजमेंट आया एक अभी हाल ही के अंदर नांदेड़ के अंदर एक जजमेंट आया टेरर केस का एक केस बनाया गया था जेटीएस में केस बनाया कई मुस्लिम नौजवानों को गिरफ्तार किया बाद में ये केस एनआईए को गया और एनआईए में नौ साल ट्रायल चला और नौ साल के बाद दो मुस्लिम नौजवान इससे बाइजत बरी होकर बाहर आए एक का नाम है मोहम्मद इरफान मोहम्मद गौस और दूसरे का नाम है मोहम्मद इलियास मोहम्मद अकबर 
तो टेरर रिलेटेड केसेस के अंदर एटीएस या एनआईए या सीबीआई किस तरह से जो है इस फंसाती है मुसलमानों को और किस तरह से लंबे पीरियड के लिए जेलों में रखती है और किस तरह से बदनाम करती है इन सारे केसेस से आपको पता चलेगा जो मुसलमानों पे जुल्म हुआ बाबरी मस्जिद का डेमोलेशन कल परसों छह तारीख को डेमोलेशन की जो एनिवर्सरी आने वाली है आप देखिए जिन लोगों ने डेमोलेश डेमोलिश किया बाबरी मस्जिद को उनको छोड़ दिया गया जिन लोगों ने बाबरी मस्जिद को डिमोलिश किया उनको जो है कोई सजा नहीं दी गई बल्कि बाबरी मस्जिद की पूरी जगह जो है हिंदुओं को दी गई मंदिर बनाने के लिए ये साबित नहीं होता कि राम जन्म स्थान वो था ये साबित नहीं होता कि वहां राम का मंदिर था ये साबित नहीं होता कि वहां मंदिर तोड़ करके मस्जिद बनाया गया लेकिन उसके बाद उसके बावजूद वो है जगह उसको दी गई लेकिन जब मुसलमान ये इस बाबरी मस्जिद के लिए आवाज उठाते हैं जब वो ये कहते हैं कि ये गलत हो रहा है जब वो कहते हैं कि ये किसी के मजहब की मजहबी इमारत को तोड़ना उसमें मूर्तियां बिठाना उसको जो है नमाज से रोकना उसको तोड़ के खत्म करना और उसकी जगह पे दूसरे मजहब की इबादत गाह बनाना ये गलत है तो यही बात के खिलाफ पुलिस जो है उनको केस में फंसा सेक्शन वन फिफ्टी ए लगा करके ये कहा जाता है कि तुम हिंदू और मुसलमानों के दरमियान नफरत फैला रहे तुम हिंदू और मुसलमानों के दरमियान जो है हेट फैला रहे हो ये कॉन्स्परेसी कर रहे हो हालांकि जिन लोगों ने मस्जिद तोड़ी जिन लोगों ने मूर्तियां रखी जिन लोगों ने रथ यात्रा निकाली उन लोगों के खिलाफ ये केसेस नहीं बनते और बनते भी है तो उनको डिस्चार्ज कर दिया जाता है तो मैं पिछले कई सालों से सोच रहा था कि भारत में इस तरह से ना सिर्फ ये कि मुसलमानों के साथ क्योंकि मेरी कम्युनिटी मुसलमान है मैं मुसलमानों के साथ उठता बैठता खाता पीता हूँ और उनको देखता हूँ कि किस तरह से वो रहते हैं तो हमारे साथ सिर्फ ये नहीं हुआ है कि हमारे राइट्स छीने गए हमको नौकरियां नहीं दी जाती हमको हमको अच्छी सोसाइटी में खा नहीं दिए जाते हमको अच्छी अच्छी स्कूल कॉलेजेस में पढ़ाई करने के लिए नहीं दिया जाता हमको जो है खुलकर इबादत करने के लिए नहीं दी जाती गुरुग्राम के अंदर आप देखिए नमाज पढ़ने नहीं दिया जा रहा जय श्री राम के और भरत माता के जय के नारे लगाए जा रहे आपको इतनी नफरत क्यों है ये मुझे समझ में नहीं आता बल्कि उससे बढ़कर मुसलमानों को जीने नहीं देना चाह रहे उनको जो है मॉब लिंचिंग में मारा जा रहा है उनके फ्रिज रेफ्रिजरेटर चेक किए जा रहे हैं कि ये गोश्त जो है गाय का है या बकरे का है और कोई भी गोश्त अगर मिल रहा है बकरे का भी गोश्त मिल रहा है तो गाय के गोश्त के नाम पर उसको मॉब लिंचिंग की जा रही उनको मारा जा रहा है त्रिपुरा के अंदर जो है मस्जिदों को जलाया जा रहा है घरों के अंदर घुस के मारा जा रहा है तो ये जो है बहुत गलत हो रहा है पूरे मुल्क में ये अच्छा नहीं हो रहा है इससे बहुत नाउमीदी बढ़ रही है इससे निराशा बढ़ रही है इससे मुस्लिम नौजवान हिताश हो रहा है अगर मुस्लिम नौजवान गलत रास्ते पर चला गया तो कौन इसका जिम्मेदार होगा आप मुस्लिम नौजवानों को टेररिज्म का ताना देते हैं आप कहते हैं कि वो टेररिस्ट है लेकिन वो नहीं है लेकिन अगर बार बार आपने उसको टेररिज्म का ताना दिया टेररिज्म का टैग लगाया अगर वो टेररिज्म टेररिस्ट बन जाएगा तो फिर कौन रोकेगा हमने अभी तलक के जो है वायलेंस नहीं किया है हमने हथियार नहीं उठाया है हम वायलेंस नहीं चाहते हम हथियार उठाना नहीं चाहते लेकिन अगर मुसलमानों ने जो है बगावत कर दी मुसलमानों ने अगर हथियार उठा दिया तो फिर इस देश का क्या होगा ये सोचने की जरूरत है ये जो कानून बनाए जा रहे हैं ये जो मुसलमानों को और माइनॉरिटीज को दलितों को आदिवासियों को सप्रेस किया जा रहा है ये बंद किया जाना चाहिए सबके साथ जो है इंसाफ होना चाहिए चाहिए सबके साथ जो है जस्टिस होनी चाहिए अगर हम एक मुल्क में रहते हैं तो सबको इसकी हिस्सेदारी मिलनी चाहिए 
अगर आप एक कम्युनिटी को मुसलसल दबा के रखेंगे सप्रेस करके रखेंगे उनका हक उनको नहीं देंगे उनको बदनाम करेंगे तो ये ज्यादा दिन तक नहीं चल सकता उसका रिएक्शन आएगा और रिएक्शन खतरनाक भी आ सकता है समय निक्राम मैं सम, मैं समझता हूं कि मैंने बहुत ही क्विकली और शॉर्टली अपनी बात रखने की कोशिश की है मेरा मानना यह है कि भारत के अंदर जितने भी टेरर लॉ है उन सबको रिपील कर दिया जाना चाहिए आईपीसी हमारे लिए काफी है आईपीसी के अंदर बहुत सारी सेक्शन है जो काफी है लेकिन उसके अलावा जो यूएपीए बनाया गया है जो एनआईए बनाया गया है जो मौका बनाया गया है इन सबको उसी तरह खत्म करना चाहिए जिस तरह से टाडा और बूटा को खत्म किया गया है और पुलिस का जो है पुलिस की जो है आप उसकी जहन साजी कीजिए उनको चेंज कीजिए उनके माइंडसेट को माइंडसेट को चेंज कीजिए कि सारे ही भारत के नागरिक हैं तो सबके साथ एक ट्रीटमेंट होना चाहिए तो कानून नहीं चलने चाहिए अगर कानून एक है तो हर शख्स के साथ हर कम्युनिटी के साथ एक ही कानून होना चाहिए सामान्य निक्राम मैं पिछले कई दिनों से पुलिस के रवैयों से परेशान हूँ मैं पिछले कई दिनों से भारत छोड़कर जाने के लिए सोच रहा हूं अभी पिछले दिनों पार्लियामेंट के अंदर ये बात आई थी कि कई लाख लोग भारत की नागरिकता छोड़कर ले गए हैं सोचना चाहिए हमको कि क्यों वो लोग भारत छोड़कर जा रहे हैं सोचना चाहिए हम लोगों को, को क्यों और लोग भारत छोड़ने के लिए तैयारी कर रहे है या सोच रहे है ये जो रवैया है गवर्नमेंट का ये हमारी सियासी हुकूमत का ये हमारी एजेंसी का ये हमारी पुलिस का रवैया बहुत ही गलत है इसको बदलना चाहिए वरना नुकसान हम सब का है नुकसान इस देश का है नुकसान इस कॉन्स्टिट्यूशन का है अगर हम चाहते हैं कि देश के अंदर अमन रहे अगर हम चाहते हैं कि देश के अंदर जस्टिस रहे तो सबके साथ जो है इक्वेलिटी होनी चाहिए जस्टिस होनी चाहिए और ये जस्टिस दिखाई देनी चाहिए अभी देखिए बाबरी मस्जिद का फैसला आया है दो साल के अंदर इन्होंने मथुरा का जो है तमाशा शुरू कर दिया है और कहा कि मथुरा के अंदर हम कृष्णा की मूर्ति रखेंगे तो जिस तरह से बाबरी मस्जिद को इन्होंने ले लिया हमारे हाथ से इसी तरह वो मथुरा की मस्जिद को भी लेना चाहते हैं लेकिन आप सोचिए कि इस तरह से करके आप कौन सा मजहबी काम कर रहे हैं इस तरह से लोगों की मजहबी इमारतों को तोड़ करके अपनी मजहबी इमारत बना करके आप कौन सी इबादत कर रहे हैं कौन सा प्रे कर रहे हैं कौन सा भगवान इस बात की इजाजत देता है आपके इस अमल से कौन सा भगवान खुश होता है ये मुझे नहीं समझ में आता किसी भी मजहबी किताब में ये नहीं लिखा है कि दूसरे की मजहबी इमारतों को तोड़ा जाए ठा दिया जाए वहां जबरदस्ती मूर्तियां बिठाई जाए तो सामाइन मैं समझता हूँ बात कंक्लूड करता हूं और मैं समझता हूं कि ये जो कुछ मथुरा में आज हो रहा है ये बहुत गलत हो रहा है और इसको रोक देना चाहिए और मैं समझता हूं कि भारत के अंदर अगर हम इंसाफ चाहते हैं सबके लिए तो हमको एक जितने भी टेरर कानून है इसका मिसयूज हो रहा है उसको खत्म कर दिया कर दिया जाना चाहिए शुक्रिया थैंक यू सो मच वाहिद भाई मिर्जा एंड जेनी before we go on to q and a from uh, the audience uh, somya and i would uh, like to ask uh, some questions uh, so jenny maybe we can start uh, with you so you know you spoke a little bit about this already and so i want to just uh, ask you to 
further elaborate on it. Uh, you spoke about the connections between anti-caste movements here and, uh, you know, the abolition movements in the U.S. We know, for instance, uh, you know, the Dalit Panthers were also very inspired uh, by the Black Panthers in the U.S. And there's, you know, connections between, you know, those logics as well that have been made uh, in the past. And you spoke very, I think, eloquently about why those you know, connections have not continued uh, in, in in the case of India or South Asia. But uh, do you think, you know, if we were to do this, if we were to argue uh, for for anti-carcerality in India, what would could we center uh, as the logic within anti-caste movements uh, and its relationship to the uh, carceral state? Uh, what for you uh, would what would you imagine, you know, for it for uh, it to have uh, a politics of transformative uh, justice? See, even uh, the Dalit Panther movement was uh, really hounded by the police. Uh, and you can see that uh, the movement also, if you look at the history of the movement also, they are getting stronger and strong. I mean, they're getting more and more significant in society and culture as they are getting arrested. And all of this is happening to them. And still, uh, we do not see the centrality of, uh, you know, uh, the prison becoming a site for politics or uh, even prison reforms becoming important for most uh, that kind of politics. As I told you, this is also because the uh, the problem is much larger within culture itself. The culture itself is such a, you know, violent carceral culture where punishment and disciplining and punishment is part of daily lives and uh, there is a constant uh, uh, attempt to keep the boundaries between caste uh, uh, intact uh, with this kind of carceral culture that we have. So given this, uh, there is very, um, uh, uh, the, as I told you, state is, uh, has become an arbitrator between warring groups here. So there is the appeal is always to the state. And uh, this is, um, uh, and what what is, what, what I think the problem is also one of thinking here, you see anti-caste movements not thinking about uh, these kind of issues in terms of the state and, you know, the problems of the state. And in contrast, you don't see uh, left liberal or left uh, radical groups also thinking so much about the caste culture that we have. So I think uh, we need to kind of have a kind of discourse which will uh, look at this together and more than anything i think we need uh, we need to develop uh, research and we need to develop uh, our discourse uh, further and because we are not even started on both sides we are not even started thinking about uh, a lot of things i think this is what is really important at this moment right uh, thank you so uh, we had another question and this had to do uh, with the bima koregaon case so I mean, you know already, uh, you know, even after the Arsenal report and the report from the Citizen Lab in the Pegasus case, which showed uh, extensive, uh, you know, digital surveillance of uh, those implicated in Bhima Koregaon case and those who were involved in the anti-CA protests, the state, of course, remains silent on the issue. They they don't accept anything. And uh, But why do you think the state needs uh, such a huge web of surveillance and how do you think importantly it impacts activism and uh, we are trying to think also uh, here about surveillance as uh, something that the state is using as one of the carceral tactics. 
I feel any state will also be a surveillance state and I don't think anything is new. I think technologies change. I, even if you look at nation states in the 16th and 17th century, you will have, you will see the system of spies and all that. So I think you can, you can maintain power only through surveillance and it is part of uh, creating a consolidated and a, a structured uh, nation state. And um, because it, you have to create an identity that is, uh, doesn't flounder. You have to keep it intact. So this can only be um, done through uh, maintenance of boundaries and maintenance of all kinds of uh, not disallowing any kinds of ruptures. And for that, you have to be uh, continuously on a surveillance mode. And that is what I think makes all states um, into surveillance states. And it's integral uh, to it. Uh, the technology keeps changing and it's becoming uh, what is interesting is that it's becoming what is important is that it is becoming connected to the internet and in our case you think about it we have a laptop at home and uh, we in babu's in babu's computer there were these documents that were found which proves that he is a maoist he has absolutely no connection even at an intellectual level with maoism and still uh, these documents prove that he is a maoist and these documents surely he has no idea of these documents and uh, as arsenal report tells us that perhaps it was put uh, into his computer from the outside so it has become more and more uh, all pervasive and it is it has become easier for the state to surveil and do surveillance and i think what is the big change is that uh, unless we are going not going to fight this there will be a huge way of controlling all sorts of discourses because just one click and you can get somebody to be a Maoist and put them in jail for so many years. And it is even easier than putting a gun in the house or, you know, and this this is going to be seen as um, uh, evidence. So one thing is we need uh, some kind of a new uh, way of looking at um, uh, electronic evidence. We have no protocols when the computer was taken away from our house they took it away like they take a gun. Okay, they just put it in a plastic cover. We kept asking that, how will you ensure that this is not tampered? They said that you, they, all the laws are with us. There is no law that says that we have to do anything further than putting it in a plastic cover and sealing it. We all know that a computer can be tampered with. We have no, and it, um, and then this computer and the evidence in this computer is going to be used against uh, uh, my husband. Is being used against husband to say that he is, um, you know, he is a Maoist and he's been jailed for one year. Others are in jail for more than one year, three years, four years. So look at the ease with which they do it. So we need to ask for uh, better protocols for uh, collecting electronic evidence and uh, also uh, think more about this. Uh, the way in which it has entered are, you know, become more uh, common for them to do this. Thank you so much. Uh, Soumya, do you want to? Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you to all our speakers um, for this very generative uh, conversation. Uh, I wanted to ask a question to Mirza. Um, so something that you discussed in your presentation, Mirza, was that the objective of, and of the you know, the way in which the Public Safety Act and more recently UAPA uh, is being used is to suppress and is to kind of maintain um, is and it's it's kind of part of the objective of these laws uh, to to maintain the suppression. So um, one thing that you said was that the limited procedures that do exist in these draconian laws, even those are not being followed. And it takes a few months to even get 
it to be uh, understood that those procedures are not being followed and uh, that is a basis of kind of letting go of that um, accusation so uh, i was wondering if you could speak a little bit more about this and in um, in terms of how do you think the what is the role that the law is playing within this larger theater of national security so sure. uh, i'll also try to connect to a few things that jenny had said about transformative justice and the surveillance state in this so first of all you see in order to pass these laws they need to meet a certain threshold of acceptability under established law within the indian constitutional structure on our right to equality right to defense right to life all of those structures so by claiming a state of exception or by claiming a severe threat from terrorism or other arguments that are used that threshold gets reduced and it creates room for ambiguity in the law and it the law gets passed through that but say with respect to kashmir uh, as a law student uh, when i was studying law many years ago in law school we were taught that minors cannot be jailed with uh, hardened criminals or they cannot be arrested in a in a jail like this or that after sunset uh, certain arrests cannot be carried out but you don't see this law in practice in kashmir because in practice those procedures are not deployed and effectively what takes place is that we see that the courts which are supposed to be protecting those transgressions that take place uh, by maybe vested political interests uh, in order to suppress a political dissent the courts job was to protect the people from that transgression but the courts have not done that job and even right now when you look at how article 370 had been amended even though the case is sub judice right now the amendment of article 370 is still before the supreme court they have not approved whether this was a validly done amendment or whether it is unconstitutional but even though it is sub judice demographic change has been allowed to take place in kashmir so until august 2019 indians did not have a right to buy land or to get a right to get jobs in kashmir but now that has been amended and now indians can buy land over there and many people are moving and getting jobs as well in fact most of the economic structure that we have in kashmir right now has been hollowed out and the most visible ones are things like the jammu and kashmir bank which now has an indian uh, chairman heading it or even if you look at the jammu and kashmir high court uh, nearly all judges except for two are non kashmiri and they are non muslim so we are talking about a population like the kashmir valley is 97 98% muslim and there are no muslim judges at the high, in the high court at all so all this structure that has been created over there is is lending itself towards the abuse of an already draconian provision but connecting this to what jenny was talking about surveillance and why the surveillance is it, it has it has connected it has permeated into every aspect of our society our homes and, and in kashmir as well and i i feel that in my observation this is because of uh, this is the state's desire to create self censorship uh, after august 90 uh, after august 2019 i couldn't speak to my family for many months i did not know what was happening at home i had no idea whether there were medicines available for elderly members in the family uh, what everyone was doing and many months later uh, i one of my cousins traveled outside kashmir to delhi and he called me from there to tell me that one of my uncles had a heart surgery and he's okay now and this had taken place many many months ago and finally I, and i had i couldn't speak to him for a, another month or so and finally when i got to speak to him i asked him how things were and i was asking a general general question about what's happening and he whispered into the phone to say uh, in kashmiri that let's not talk much 
and this is the 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 fear that it creates amongst people that we are constantly being watched so even when you have normal conversations with your family members they would not want to uh, get you into trouble or maybe the fear of someone watching you so surveillance is not just to collect information from people but also to make people stop talking about things and then when we connect all of this to detention law preventive detention uapa psa you see that at every step there is a very conscious effort to stop ideas of people certain people percolating into common audiences common masses so the surveillance the detention and the failure of what could have been a democratic structure is very very visible over there and think changes that are taking place in kashmir are irreversible and as wahid bhai was also saying that agar aap kisi if you if you oppress a population if you oppress a group to such an extent that they are pushed against the wall then you leave no room for them for their survival and what is happening in kashmir is that that our economic rights are being dismantled our political rights have been taken away we have no room to speak out we have no room to talk and we have no political agency also within kashmir to express what the will of the people is and then you look at the courts over there to who are supposed to be the protectors against these trans- transgressions and you see that they have also not done their job in any of these cases since 1947 the court has been a tool uh, of the structure in kashmir as opposed to be a tool uh, in the hands of the people against such transgressions so at every point you see faith in democratic structures being completely demolished and which is why kashmiri people are being pushed again and again towards a wall and this is not the first time it has happened to us even in 1987 1988 when the armed uh, uprising began in kashmir it was because of a complete failure of any other avenues because until that point kashmiris had attempted democratic struggle they had attempted diplomatic struggle we had had many of our leaders spend many years in jail we had uh, you know all kinds of laws imposed to detain people like the, the public safety act came about in 1978 so since then any political dissent was being suppressed but in the end when people had no other option left some portion of the population did decide that yes then an armed struggle is the way to rebel against the state and again this is not to go into the merits of whether it is a good decision or a bad decision but it is true to say that when people get oppressed uh, and there is no avenue left like if you cut down all the channels of dialogue for non violent discourse then people will resort some portion of the population will resort to other means of discourse right. and any right. sensible nation would want to avoid such a situation but we don't see that happening uh, with uh, the the government in india and it seems that they are more comfortable with keeping kashmir in chaos and turmoil than moving towards any rational discourse and dialogue right thank you so much for sharing that mirza and absolutely i think that what um you've raised and actually what wahid bhai raised and what jenny raised just makes us think about this idea of a punitive culture that ends up shaping the life of everyday uh, of everyday people at an everyday level and surveillance being a part of that and the self censorship being a part of that um so that it's not just that and like we say like the carceral state is not just about the formal institution of the prison or the jail or about the legal procedures and these laws but it's about this ideology that permeates in our everyday life not only for those who are being suppressed directly by it but also everybody else who is kind of being given this idea that 
this is what safety and security looks like and this is what justifies the uh, broadening powers of the state so uh, thank you for sharing that i think it's um, uh, an important thing to put in the center let's move to uh, uh, some uh, questions that we had for wahid bhai to mujhe ye aapki baat se ye cheez ek लगी वाहिद भाई कि आजकल हम ये देख रहे हैं कि रूटीन तौर पर रोज पर रोजमर्रा पर डिस्क्रिमिनेशन बढ़ गया है मुसलमानों के अगेंस्ट और ये जो तरीके की हिंदू नेशनलिस्ट गवर्नमेंट है इसमें हम देख रहे हैं कि जो पॉलिटिकल आइडियाज और जो स्टेटमेंट्स रही हैं पॉलिटिशियंस की वो और बढ़ के आ रही है और उसमें और इम्प्यूनिटी हो रही है पहले से तो मुझे ये पूछना था कि इस तरीके का जो हम देख रहे हैं जो जो एटीट्यूड हम देख रहे हैं लोगों का मुस्लिम्स के अगेंस्ट और ये जो तरीके की पुलिसिंग हो रही है और जो केसेस में फंसाया जा रहा है मुसलमानों को इनका हम क्या मतलब रिलेशन समझें और किस तरीके से हम देख सकते हैं कि एक कंटिन्यूटी पैदा हो रही है इस इस रिलेशन में मुझे मुझे ये लगता है कि ये जो कुछ हो रहा है इसमें दो फैक्टर हैं पहला फैक्टर तो ये है कि गवर्नमेंट जो है हमारी पॉलिटिकल गवर्नमेंट जो है अपने फेलियर को छुपाने के लिए इस तरह के काम करती है आ, मैं एक ऐसे आईपीएस ऑफिसर को जानता हूं जिसने ये कहा है कि पार्लियामेंट पे जो अटैक किया गया है वो इंडियन गवर्नमेंट की कारस्तानी मैं ऐसे आईबी ऑफिसर्स के नाम जानता हूं जिन्होंने इनकाउंटर में मुसलमानों को मारा और उसको उनके ऊपर जो है हथियार भी प्लांट किए और उनका मकसद ये था कि मोदी को जो सब चीफ मिनिस्टर थे गुजरात के उनकी गवर्नमेंट को जो है बचाया जाए तो एक तो अपने फेलियर को थापने के लिए और दूसरा ये कि एक खास कम्युनिटी से एक खास आइडियोलॉजी से उनको दुश्मनी है और उनका ये कहना है कि जेल के अंदर भी जो आर के लोग जब नाइनटीन में जेल में गए और जमात इस्लामी के जो लोग जेलों में गए जो जिंदा है अभी जमात इस्लामी के लोग मैं उनसे मिला था एक रिसर्च के सिलसिले में तो उन्होंने बताया कि आरएसएस ये चाहती है कि हिंदुस्तान में किसी भी मुसलमान को हम जिंदा रहने नहीं देंगे या तो उनको कन्वर्जन करना पड़ेगा या तो उनको मरना पड़ेगा इसीलिए वो नारा लगाते हैं कि मुसलमानों के दो स्थान था कब्रस्तान या पाकिस्तान वो तो पाकिस्तान भी जाने देने वाले नहीं अभी मैं आपको एक रेफरेंस देना चाहता हूं जब कोविड नाइन्टीन की वजह से जो गिरफ्तारियां हो रही थी कुछ मस्जिद से लोगों को पकड़ा गया था और ये बताया गया था कि तबलीगी जमात की वजह से ये पूरा कोविड जो है फैला है और जो जो इंटरनेशनल तबलीगी जमात के लोग इधर आ रहे हैं दूसरे देशों से आ रहे हैं वो कोविड ला रहे हैं उसकी वजह से कई एफ हुए कई मुसलमानों को मस्जिद से पकड़कर जेल में डाला गया उसका एक बॉम्बे हाईकोर्ट का जजमेंट है जिसमें जस्टिस नलवड़े ने ये बात लिखी है ऑन रिकॉर्ड कि ये सब कुछ जो मुसलमानों को बदनाम किया गया तबलीगी जमात को बदनाम किया गया ये जो एफ बनाई गई है इसका मकसद जो है पुलिस अपने पेंडेमिक फेलियर को छुपाना चाहती थी और दूसरा मकसद ये था कि मुसलमान जो सी एनआरसी एनआरपी की जो मुखालिफत कर रहे थे जो उसको अपोज कर रहे थे उसके लिए जो शाहीन बाग जो पूरे मुल्क में बनाया गया था उसकी चिड़ निकालने के लिए भी जो है ये इस तरह की कारस्तानी की गई है तो मैं समझता हूं तो कि दो फैक्टर काम कर रहे हैं एक तो ये कि इसके जरिए से वो अपने फेलियर्स को छुपाना चाहते हैं इसके जरिए से वो कुछ पॉलिटिकल गेन हासिल करना चाहते हैं और इसके जरिए से मुसलमानों की आइडेंटिटी मुसलमानों की आइडियोलॉजी और मुसलमानों का जो प्रेजेंस है वो भारत से खत्म करना चाहते हैं 
थैंक यू वाहिद भाई मैं भी एक सवाल करना चाहती थी पर वो थोड़ा अलग है हमने इंट्रोडक्शन में भी जैसे कहा कि आपने अपनी जेल डायरी लिखी है अपने एक्सपीरियंसेस के बारे में और पिछले कुछ समय में बहुत मतलब कुछ लोगों ने आगे आकर अपने जेल एक्सपीरियंसेस के बारे में लिखा है और उसको पब्लिश भी किया है मैं आपसे जानना चाहती थी कि आपको क्यों लगा जरूरी मतलब जेल में लिखना या जेल से बाहर आके लिखना वो एक्सपीरियंस शेयरिंग आपने एक तरीके से आपने किस ऑडियंस को सोचकर अपनी किताब के बारे में अपने एक्सपीरियंसेस के बारे में अपनी किताब में उतारा तो अगर आप थोड़ा सा अपनी राइटिंग एक्सपीरियंसेस के बारे में शेयर करेंगे तो अच्छा रहेगा जेल जाने के बाद मेरे पास तीन ऑप्शन थे एक तो ये था कि या तो मैं लॉ स्टडी करूँ एल एल या तो मैं पीएचडी जो मैं कर रहा था अरेस्टिंग से पहले उसको मैं कंप्लीट करूं या तो मैं अपने पूरे केस पर एक किताब लिखूं जेल में मैंने वो किताब लिखी है लेकिन वो जेल डायरी नहीं है बल्कि वो केस डायरी है क्योंकि उसमें मैंने अपने जेल के डे टू डे लाइफ को नहीं लिखा है बल्कि हमारे केस में जो हुआ है उसको लिखा है अब सवाल ये है कि मैंने क्यों वो लिखा या मेरे नजदीक कौन सा ऑडियंस वो सामने था एक्चुअली जेल के अंदर किसी भी कैदी को जिनको वो चाहते हैं उनको पेपर नहीं देते उनको पेन नहीं देते उनको लिखने नहीं देते अगर वो लिखता है तो उसके कागजात को लेके फाड़ देते हैं जला देते हैं सप्रेस कर देते हैं मेरे साथ भी ऐसा ही हुआ है तीसरी चीज ये थी कि हमको जिस केस में फंसाया गया था हमको ये लग रहा था कि शायद ये पहली बार हुआ है हम मालूम नहीं था हमको कि इससे पहले भी कई बार ऐसा हो चुका है तो जब मुझे पता चला कि ये पहली बार नहीं हुआ है ये पुलिस गलती से नहीं कर रही है बल्कि ये पुलिस की मोटस ऑपरेंडी है पुलिस का ये तरीका है कि इसी तरह से वो बम ब्लास्ट के केस में गलत तरीके से मुसलमानों को फंसाते हैं तो मेरे दिल में ख्याल आया कि ये पूरा सच जो है बाहर दुनिया को बताना चाहिए और उसका जो तरीका था मेरे पास वो यही था कि मैं छुपते छुपाते अंडा सेल में बैठ के उसको मैं लिखता था उसको मैं स्मगल करता था पुलिस वालों के जरिए कई बार जो है सुप्रिंटेंडेंट स्वाति साटे ने मेरे पेजेस लेके बुक्स के पेजेस लेके फाड़ दिए जला दिए मुझे लिखने नहीं दिया गया लेकिन मैं कंटिन्यू उसको लिखता रहा स्मगल करता रहा और वो किताब बाहर आई क्योंकि मेरा उस वक्त जजमेंट नहीं आया था मुझे नहीं पता था कि बॉम्ब ब्लास्ट के केस में मुझे फांसी होगी या लाइफ होगी या एक्विटल होगा मैं सिर्फ इस भरोसे पे लिख रहा था कि हमारे साथ जो अन्याय हुआ है इस केस के साथ जो अन्याय हुआ है वो दुनिया वालों को पता चले और ये अन्याय सिर्फ मेरे साथ नहीं था बल्कि इस बॉम्ब ब्लास्ट केस में तो दो सौ से ज्यादा लोग मरे हैं उनके साथ भी अन्याय था उनको मारने वालों को आज तक सजा नहीं मिली ये अन्याय भारत की हर जनता के साथ था क्योंकि उनको ये नहीं पता चला या नहीं बताया गया कि इस बम ब्लास्ट करने वाले असल कर्ता धरता कौन है तो ये अन्याय जो पूरे देश के साथ था जनता के साथ था विक्टिम के साथ था एक्यूज के साथ था ये अन्याय सबको पता चलना चाहिए था इसलिए मैंने वो किताब लिखी और मैंने उर्दू में लिखी और बाद में दीगर जबानों के अंदर भी वो आई तो मेरा ऑडियंस यही था कि अगर हम मर गए फांसी पर अगर हम लटक भी गए तो कम से कम ये बुक इस बात की शहादत दे इस बात का एविडेंस है कि गलत लोगों को इस केस में फंसाया गया और गलत लोगों को इस केस में फांसी पर लटकाया जी धन्यवाद अब हम एक बार हमारे पास जो ऑडियंस से सवाल आए हैं उनको ले लेते हैं एक एक करके 
So one of the first questions we have is uh, how can these laws be abolished? Uh, and here I'm guessing the references to anti-terror or uh, draconian laws, UAPA, PSA, um, all of those cited in the speeches here. And uh, Vahid Bhai has uh, attempted to answer it here, but Vahid Bhai, if you want to please do. And I think this can be posed to all the panelists as well. Uh, so the question is, how can these laws be abolished? So to everyone, maybe Wahid, uh, Mirza and Jenny in that order. Thank you. I have given this answer and my answer is that when Tata and Pota was a national movement that was misused, that community was पंजाबी भाइयों के खिलाफ इस्तेमाल हो रहा है मुस्लिम भाइयों के खिलाफ कश्मीर में ज्यादा और पंजाब में ज्यादा इस्तेमाल हो रहा है और इसकी वजह से जो कन्फेशन का जो प्रोविजन रखा गया था टाडा और कोटा के अंदर उस कन्फेशन में जो है टॉर्चर करके कन्फेशन पर साइन ली जा रही है और कन्फेशन की बेसिस पे कई बेगुनाहों को सजा लग रही है इसलिए एक एक कैंपेन चलाया गया कंटिन्यू कैंपेन चलाया गया और यह कहा गया कि इस लॉ को खत्म करो बहुत ज्यादा इसका मिसयूज हो रहा है वो डाटा वगैरह भी दिए गए उसके चलते एक प्रेशर बना और उसके चलते वो कानून जो है रिपील हुए आज के दौर में जो मौका है यूएपीए है एनआईए है ये जिस तरह के भी कानून है हम क्या कर सकते हैं या हम किसी को मार नहीं सकते कि ये कानून वापस लो हम एक जो है एक जनता का एक कैंपेन चला सकते हैं हम एक डाटा पेश कर सकते हैं हम कंटिन्यू एक प्रेशर मेंटेन कर सकते हैं कि ये गलत लॉ है इसका मिसयूज हो रहा है और इसमें गलत लोगों को फंसाया जा रहा है गलत लोगों को सजाएं हो रही है गलत लोगों की जिंदगी और उनके खानदान वाले बर्बाद हो रहे हैं तो इसको रिपील किया जाए और ये कंटिन्यू अगर बात चलेगी कैंपेन की शक्ल में तो ही मुझे लगता है कि इसमें कुछ uh, Mirza and Jenny, would you like to also add something here? And we, I can, I was thinking uh, we could broaden the question a little bit to ask, if not about the laws being abolished, what would you say would be like a short term kind of thing that you think would be transformative um, that we could uh, move towards? I feel uh, like Vahid Bhai was also saying that these issues need to become issues of political salience. And once these issues gain some salience, then only will legislators feel the need to make better legislation. But because it is more politically salient right now to oppress uh, certain groups, because uh, what happens in Kashmir easily gets passed off as legal or justified uh, under this larger ambit of national security. So a, a, a very clear conversation needs to take place with Indians, with common Indians also, as to how their nation is being made more secure by the presence of these laws or by the detention of minors. Uh, and just to add something that you had asked me earlier also about what specific uh, procedures were not taking place under PSA also. So, for example, when someone gets detained, they have the right to know their grounds of detention on, on why they have been detained. In many cases on PSA, the grounds are not communicated to people at all. For multiple days, they don't know why they are in detention. And sometimes once those grounds have been communicated and the PSA has been vacated by the court after serving months in detention, they come out of detention and they get placed in detention again under similar grounds. And no application of mind takes place that if the court has already dismissed those grounds, how can you impose the same grounds again? So, and connecting this to the question over here, that what can we do now? How can we change these laws or what can take place? 
either the judiciary needs to have a proper awakening and questioning as to why the judiciary does not do its only role which is to protect the civilians protect the citizens and if in certain cases the judiciary finds that these laws have been abused has anyone been taken to task for the abuse or the uh, mismanagement of that particular situation and if you find that this has happened repeatedly in multiple multiple cases and there are so many examples from kashmir where people have been in detention now for decades uh, you know masrat alam is one example i didn't discuss in my in the in the initial part of the uh, the panel today who has now been in detention for nearly 25 26 years so such cases highlight that what the what is actually happening is a life sentence if someone is in jail in in preventive detention for 25 30 years it's a if effectively a life sentence but that person has not done anything most of the people who are un- arrested under public safety act they have not done those things because this is preventive detention it is to prevent you from doing something that the state thinks you are going to do so they don't have enough evidence to justify elongated imprisonment so public safety act becomes an easy way to do that so we need uh, a public discourse uh, on what these laws are doing and how they have completely demolished families and social structures within the places where they are implemented and without that taking place and without an honest uh, introspection by indians as to what they are actually doing in kashmir and what is the result of that without that introspection there will be no progress so i feel that we definitely need to push such discourse between kashmiris and indians uh, well well thinking indians about what is going on over there and how we can move forward right right thank you so much and uh, just in the interest of time jenny i i will request you to respond to this question and i'll also couple this with another question that we've ha- we have we have another question asking is there a reason why naxalism or maoism seems to have become the intellectual rationale for evidence as in why is naxalism and quote unquote urban naxal such a scarlet letter of sorts so if you would like to take either or both of these questions yeah the, uh, the first question uh, i think campaigns will help and also i was thinking that the way this government is imposing uap on everyone that itself will actually strengthen these kind of campaigns because i think more and more people are getting to know about you know uh, the how problematic it is and uh, even uh, one of the one of the people who had in tripura that incident i i remember reading that he's from an uh, bjp family so when it is beginning to you know really spread like this i think uh, the campaigns also will get stronger and i many people are thinking and also doing campaigns at this moment also that will help and about the second question i think it's a uh, you know deliberately constituted it's a strategy uh, like so there's so much of uh, resistance to the complete takeover of um, land and resources by uh, brahmin uh, you know forces capitalist forces and there is very strong resistance on the ground because i remember gn sai baba i know him as somebody who had worked uh, you know um, in as part of these resistances and then we get, see him getting arrested so uh, this is a way of you know managing that resistance so you create this bogey called urban naxalism and then you appeal to the nationalist sentiments so uh, that is why i think it has become such a uh, you know such an easy to use kind of word thank you thank you jenny so uh, we'll ask um, one last question and then uh, close for today 
we have a question from Nikita for Jenny and Wahid ji to share their thoughts on the criminalization of pasmanda Muslims by the state. So maybe Wahid bhai, aap bolna chahenge? ये जो पसमानदा पसमानदा मुसलमान है उनको जो स्टेट की तरफ से जो क्रिमिनलाइज किया जा रहा है या उनको जो है फ्रेस किया जा रहा है या उनके छोटे मुकदमे बनाए जा रहे हैं तो इसका मुझे लगता है बहुत बड़ा रीजन जो है पुलिस डिपार्टमेंट का माइंडसेट है और मुझे नहीं लगता कि पुलिस डिपार्टमेंट के अंदर जो सिलेबस है वो सिलेबस क्या पढ़ाया जा रहा है उनको कौन लेक्चर देने के लिए आता है आपको याद होगा जब बॉम्बे के अंदर के पी रघुवंशी एटीएस के चीफ थे उस वक्त जो है कर्नल पुरोहित को जो आर्मी में ऑफिसर था उसको लेक्चर के लिए बुलाया जाता था और वो एटीएस के ऑफिसर्स को लेक्चर देते थे और बाद में वही कर्नल पुरोहित जो है साध्वी प्रज्ञा सिंह ठाकुर के साथ जो है बॉम्बलास्ट केस की कॉन्स्ट्रेंसी में अरेस्ट हुए तो ऐसा शख्स जो बिल्कुल जो है टेररिस्ट माइंड का है वो जब पुलिस वालों के पास जाता है लेक्चर देने के लिए तो वो उनका माइंड भी जो है टेराइज करता है उनका माइंड भी जो है कम्युनिटी के ताल्लुक से जो है पोलराइज करता है कम्युनल करता है और पूरी पुलिस डिपार्टमेंट को खराब करता है 2019 में एक रिपोर्ट आई थी जिसका नाम है स्टेटस ऑफ पॉलिसिंग इन इंडिया रिपोर्ट 2019। ये रिपोर्ट जो है कॉमन कॉज ने और सी ने निकाली थी सेंटर फॉर द स्टडी ऑफ डेवलपिंग सोसाइटीज ये जो रिपोर्ट है इसमें पुलिस के बारे में बताया गया कि पुलिस मुसलमानों के बारे में क्या सोचती है उसमें यह बताया गया कि 50 फीसद फिफ्टी परसेंट पुलिस का ख्याल है कि मुस्लिम कम्युनिटी जो है क्रिमिनल के जो जो क्राइम प्रॉन होती है भारत के अंदर वो क्रिमिनल होते हैं क्राइम करना उनको अच्छा लगता है ये ये पुलिस की सोच है मुसलमानों के बारे में 35% पुलिस वालों का कहना ऐसा है कि मॉब लिंचिंग जो हो रही है भारत के अंदर ये एक आम बात है उनको कोई फर्क नहीं पड़ रहा उसके अलावा हर पांच में से एक पुलिस वाला हर पांच में से एक पुलिस वाला इनकाउंटर को जायज समझता है सही समझता है यानी 20% पुलिस वाले इनकाउंटर को सही समझते हर चार में से तीन पुलिस वाला टॉर्चर को जायज समझता है चार में से तीन पुलिस वाला आप देखिए 22 स्टेट में उन्होंने सर्वे किया था और वहां जाकर के उन्होंने पुलिस वालों से ये सवाल पूछे थे और उनके जरिए से ये जो है डाटा सामने आया था उसके अलावा जो है हर पांच में से चार पुलिस वाला एटी परसेंट हर पांच में से चार पुलिस वाला कन्फेशन लेते वक्त टॉर्चर को जायज समझता है अगर एक्यूज को पुलिस कस्टडी के अंदर टॉर्चर किया जा रहा है मारा जा रहा है तो वो उसके नजदीक जायज है और आप समझते हैं कि कन्फेशन ज्यादातर जो है टाडा पोटा और यह है मौका इस तरह के केसेस में लिया जाता है और इस तरह के केसेस में ज्यादातर जो है माइनॉरिटी कम्युनिटी के लोग गिरफ्तार होते हैं मुसलमान जो है इस देश में है लेकिन आप देखिए जेलों के अंदर जो अंडर टाइम प्रिजनर है 20 परसेंट से ज्यादा है तो ये रेशियो जो है बहुत ही खतरनाक है और मैं समझता हूं कि एक खास माइंडसेट के तहत हम भी जब जेल में गए थे पुलिस कस्टडी में गए तो पुलिस वालों के हाथ में हमने कौन सा मैगजीन देखा वो मैगजीन जो है आर का पांच जन्य मैगजीन पढ़ते थे और वो ये हमको ये कहते थे कि भारत में हम जो है मुसलमानों को नाम रखने मुस्लिम नाम रखने के काबिल भी नहीं छोड़ेंगे ऐसा हम आप लोग का हल कर देंगे तो हमको ये लगता था कि शायद वो ऐसी मजाक कर रहा है लेकिन हमको अब ये फील हो रहा है कि वो बाकायदा एक पॉलिसी के तहत वो आगे बढ़ रहे हैं और मुसलमानों को सप्रेस कर रहे हैं तो मैं समझता हूँ कि जो पसमानदा मुसलमान है उनको जो स्टेट की तरफ से जो क्रिमिनल क्रिमिनलाइजेशन उनका जो हो रहा है वो एक सोची समझी साजिश के तहत हो रहा है और एक मकसद के तहत हो रहा है 
इसको जो है खत्म करने की जरूरत ठीक जी जी आई थिंक आप जो कह रहे हैं उसमें हम हमारे पास जो डेटा है उसमें भी हम पसमंदा मुस्लिम्स का जो इसमें अभी तक रहा है वो स्पेसिफिकली पसमंदा मुस्लिम्स के बारे में हमारे पास डेटा भी कम है तो हो सकता है उससे भी हमारी जो मतलब जिस तरीके का क्रिमिनलाइजेशन हो रहा है उस उसकी समझ भी थोड़ी हो सकता है कम है पर मैं जेनी को ये क्वेश्चन फिर पोज करती हूँ कि यही क्वेश्चन अगर आप लेना चाहेंगी जेनी See, I feel that we cannot see the Muslim question through the lens of caste alone, uh, because uh, the Muslim uh, is a problem is a different, a specific problem. Uh, it might have its caste connotations, and that is why you will see that even among under, uh, even among the under trials and the prisoners, there are a lot of non-passmanda Muslims also. And the kind of uh, stigma and the kind of criminalization that is happening can happen to the richest Muslim. to the uh, poorest muslim and this is i don't know why people are not seeing this i think it is an inability to see the uh, muslim situation in india and which is coming from a caste hindu consciousness it is not even coming from an anti caste consciousness so i uh, i i have a problem with only you know talking about the criminalization of asmanda muslims uh, but um, uh, there are lower class muslims again among them also there are so many non asmanda muslims in i come from the state of kerala where uh you know there are so many nia cases and there are these uh, boys are uh, and uh, most of them are young boys they are from very rich families well settled fam- fa- settled families or middle class families are uh, well educated and uh, for no reason they are picked up and they are in jail for years and years and um, this is happening throughout and this is this is because of a particular attitude towards muslims and in uh, a way of looking at muslims as an other of the hindu nation itself that the minute you are a muslim you are sus- you are under suspicion you are a traitor you you will do jihad you will convert our girls with this has been going on in this country from the 1920s and the entry of gandhi into the politics uh, political sphere and we have to see this even as we see the even as we look for data as um, samya was saying look for data about particular conditions of pasmanda muslims we also have to uh, see this yeah absolutely absolutely all right we're uh, running over time so i'll quickly take a minute to to bring our panel to a close um these have been extremely generative conversations for a topic that's very large and there are many many more conversations that we need to be having we see the project of developing anti carceral politics as critical to the various long fought struggles for social economic and political justice that can help us reorient towards a liberatory future so we thank you all for joining in for this conversation and helping us in this endeavor particularly we would like to take this opportunity to thank mirza jenny and wahid bhai for their important insights today and a shout out to the wonderful isl and language interpreters preeti aniket oh sorry udya asif dharmesh kanmani rituja and anagha who graciously volunteered your time today thank you um a huge thank you also to our co organizers the teams at cjls and cpap for all your hard work and last but definitely not the least the it team at jindal global university that is making this webinar uh, possible so we hope to continue these conversations beyond this webinar and to that end we will be putting up the transcripts of each of the speaker presentations from all of our panels on the anti carceral politics website so do sign up for updates and we really hope you continue to engage with us going forward on many of the open questions and threads that we have been raised um now we will hand over to sanjana to introduce the 
Samta Kala Manch who will be closing our series with their performance. Thank you Soumya. I am personally very much excited for this performance now and uh, to introduce Samta Kala Manch. It is a cultural wing of Republican Panthers caste organization movement. This name is perfectly appropriate for the troupe that has set out to create a new world order on the basis of samta or equality with the intention of breaking the prevalent system of caste-based inequality and discrimination. This troupe is consists of students and laborers who are based out of Maharashtra and working to take forward the legacy of Shahiri folk arts from Vaman Dada Kardak, Anna Bhau Sathe, Gavankar, Amar Sheikh, Vilas Ghogre, Shantanu Kamade, to Lokshahar Bhimrao Kardak, who are well known to lead the flames of resistance in the society. They use poetry, songs, street plays and other modes of cultural performance to enlighten the oppressed about their condition, making them realize their exploitation, enabling them to raise their collective voice and continue the movement against exploitation based on caste, class, patriarchy and fascism. Building on this tradition and Ambedkar idea of annihilation of caste, Samta Kalamaj seeks to transform this idea into revolutionary enlightenment. Samta Kalamanch believes that as India needs a political revolution, it equally needs a cultural revolution. So, Samta Kalamanch ke sabhi saathiyo ko mera jai bhim. The stage is all yours now. Sabhi saathiyo ko jai bhim. Sabhi saathiyo ko jai bhim. Aap logo ko agar awaaz aati hai, to ek baat information de dijiye. Kariya. Is webinar mein Samta Kalamanch ko aapne ek hissa kiya, is pure yoga. अपना एक इंपॉलमेंट इसके बाद अगर हम देखते हैं तो शिवाजी महाराज के वक्त में 
यहाँ के शायरों ने एक बड़ी परंपरा में एक बड़ा भूमिका एक निभाई जिसमें जब यहाँ के योद्धा रणभूमि में लड़ने जाते थे जब उन्हें वक्त मिलता था थोड़ा शांति का वक्त मिलता था तब यहाँ के शायर पोवाड़ो के माध्यम से यहाँ के सैनिकों में एक ऊर्जा भरने का काम करते थे और उन्हें लड़ने का बल देते शिवाजी महाराज के वक्त में यह दिखाई शिवाजी महाराज के वक्त के बाद हमें सत्य शोधक शाहरी जैसे महात्मा फुले ने स्थापन किया उसकी हमें ये सत्य शोधक शायरी जलसा सत्य शोधक धर्म इसमें नए नए रूप हमें हमारे महाराष्ट्र के भूमि में दिखाई देते हैं जिसमें शादी करने से लेकर खान पान से लेकर सभी चीजों में यहाँ की ब्राह्मणवादी व्यवस्था के खिलाफ एक बड़ा ऐलान किया गया और ब्राह्मणी और अब्राह्मणी एक भूमिका एक कंसेप्ट रखी गई और महात्मा फुले के वक्त अगर बताया जाए तो वो एक ऐसा वक्त था जहाँ में गाँव गाँव में जलसे किए जाते थे और उनके छोटे छोटे ग्रुप्स हमें गांव गांव में दिखाई देते इसके बाद अगर हम जाते हैं इसके बाद अगर हम आगे बढ़ते हैं तो हमें दिखाई देते हैं इसके बाद अगर हम आगे जाते हैं तो हमें दिखाई देते हैं लाल बहुत कला मंदिर लाल बहुत कला मंदिर के बारे में हम सब जानते हो गए अमर शेख गवानकर इन सब लोगों ने संयुक्त महाराष्ट्र की बड़ी मूवमेंट खड़ी थी जिसमें वो माझी महिला गावा कर रही के बारे में अपने दुख दर्द के बारे में गाने लिखते हुए यहाँ की जनता के लिए आगे लड़ते बढ़े इसके बाद हमें दिखाई देते हैं अम्बेडकरी शाहरी जलसा जिसमें वामन दादा करोंने अपने शब्दों के माध्यम से जाति अंत की वर्गंत की लड़ाई गाँव गाँव तक तो पहुंचाए इसी की वजह से बाबा साहब ने भी कहा था की मेरे दस भाषण और शाहिद का एक गाना ये बराबर ये बड़ी उपमा बाबा साहब अम्बेडकर ने शाहिदों को इसके बाद हमें दिखाई देते हैं विलास खोखरे जिन्होंने यहाँ की पूरी सत्ता के खिलाफ फैला हमें दिखते हैं जनतन कांग्रे जिन्होंने दलित हल्ला बोलना श्रमिक हल्ला बोलना एक यलगार पुकारते हुए आगे बढ़े इसी के साथ हमें दिखते हैं वीरा साथीना जिन्होंने अपने गानों के माध्यम से सावरे मंजूरा लेकर यहाँ के सभी तत्वों के बारे में अपनी एक भूमिका ये पूरा एक वारसा जो वारसा यहाँ की जाति व्यवस्था के खिलाफ वर्ग व्यवस्था के खिलाफ और नारी शोषण के खिलाफ हम खुद को भी किसी वारसे का किसी इस पूरे एक गति का एक अगला टप्पा समझते हैं और हम भी ऐलान करते हैं जब तक इस देश में जाति व्यवस्था की है तब तक हम लड़ते रहेंगे और यहाँ के जनता के लिए शोषित पीड़ित जनता के लड़ते रहेंगे इतना ही कहकर मैं सभी को जय ये आवाज है दलितों का ये आवाज है श्रमिकों का ये आवाज है आदिवासियों का ये आवाज है मुसलमानों का ये आवाज है महिलाओं का ये आवाज है और अन्य व्यक्तियों का जिन शहीदों ने यहाँ के पूंजीवाद यहाँ के जातिवाद यहाँ के पितृसत्ता के खिलाफ लड़ते हुए अपनी जान कुर्बान कर दी उस तमाम क्रांतिकारी शहीदों को अभिवादन करते हुए
तो ये प्रोग्राम की शुरुआत करने से पहले बाबा साहेब को अभिवादन करते हुए हम आपके सामने गाना पेश करें बाबा दादा गर्दक बाबा साहब के बारे में उनका वर्णन करते हुए ये कहते मराठी में ही कहा है उन्होंने उनके गीतों में कहा है मराठी में है उसका आशय पकड़ने की कोशिश की है वो कहते हैं Yuga yuga, it's a hard. 
Yeah. <laughs> 
लोग हैं जो गुमंत समाज में जन्म लेने के कारण उन्हें कैदी जैसा उन्हें आरोपी जैसा बर्ताव किया जाता है महाराष्ट्र में पार्टी करके
वे हजारों सालों की पीढ़िया भी खोलने के लिए एक गाने के माध्यम से आज हम आपके साथ पेश करते हजारों सालों से गुलाबी बेरिया चीत कर देती है चाहिए जो तोड़ दो तोड़ शादी की जल्दी
गरीबी पैदा करती उस सिस्टम को ये सजा कैसे दी जाए यही सवाल रमेश गायत्रो जो सभी कला मंच के साथी है कार्यकर्ता है आप सभी को पता है की केस में उन्हें आज जेल में डाल दिया गया उन्हें मराठी में एक कविता लिखी उसका नाम है हम सब प्रोजेक्ट सपना इसका हिंदी अनुवाद हमारी ही एक कार्यकर्ता है कभी वापस सुनता कला मंच कार्यकर्ता है उन्होंने अनुवाद किया है वो आपके साथ पेश कर दलित लोगों को फांसी होनी चाहिए पीठ चौराहे में फांसी होनी चाहिए लिंक काट देने चाहिए लिंक विच्छेद करना चाहिए करना चाहिए न पुस्तक बना देना चाहिए उससे क्या होगा कार्यकर्ता भीड़ और चिल्लाकर सालों को सबक मिलेगा सालों में दहशत पैदा हो जाएगी समाज का रोष शांति ऐसे कितना को न्याय मिलेगा कार्यकर्ता गंभीरता से ऐसे कितनों को न्याय मिलेगा कार्यकर्ता गंभीरता से इससे दरिंदे खत्म होंगे इससे केस बंद हो जाएगा इससे फाइलें बंद हो जाएंगी पर ये दरिंदों को जल्द देने वाली व्यवस्था का क्या ये व्यवस्था दरिंदों को जल्द देती रहेगी ये व्यवस्था दरिंदों को जल्द देती रहेगी ये व्यवस्था बार बार बलात्कार करती रहेगी तो क्या इस व्यवस्था का तो फिर चलो तो फिर चलो इस व्यवस्था को ही दहशत दिखाए इस व्यवस्था को ही फांसी दे दी जाए भीड़ अपनी सारी बतियां बचा कर शांति से दरिंदों को फांसी हो चुकी है मंत्रियों की स्थिति भी आ चुके हैं जो अधिकारी थे उनकी तबादला भी हो चुका है अरे कानून सख्त करने का आश्वासन भी दिया है अब कार्यकर्ता गुस्से से चिल्ला कर बोला अरे पर इस सिस्टम का क्या इस सिस्टम तो ऐसे की ऐसे का ही है इस समय भीड़ और शांति से एक्सक्यूज मी हमारा प्रोजेक्ट खत्म हो मुजरिम वो नहीं जो जेलों में कैद है मुजरिम वो नहीं जो जेलों में कैद है और वो भी नहीं जो जेलों से फरार है मुजरिम वो नहीं जो जेलों में कैद है और वो भी नहीं जो जेलों से फरार है असली तो वो है जो तक पर बरकरार है तक पर बरकरार है शाहिद सागर गोर के जो अभी फिलहाल जेल में है और इससे पहले भी उनको जेल में डाला गया तो क्या कहते हैं सागर गोर के मुट्ठी मुट्ठी 
जी हमारी आवाज आ रही है ना आप तक हाँ जी हाँ जी एक्चुअली चालीस मिनट तो पूरे हो गए लेकिन हमारा एक आखिरी गाना नहीं नहीं प्लीज आप आप बिल्कुल अपना आखिरी गाना खत्म जी चले धन्यवाद धन्यवाद संविधान के अंदर बंधुता बंधुता का जो हमने उसमें स्थापित किया है ये समाज के अंदर अगर उस चीज समाज में अगर हम बंधुता को स्थापित करने की कोशिश करेंगे तो बहुत सारे समस्याओं का हल होगा लेकिन हम जिस परंपरा की बारसदार कहते हैं आप और हम
बेगमपुरा एक ऐसा समाज रहेगा एक ऐसा देश रहेगा एक ऐसा प्रदेश रहेगा जहाँ पे कौन सा कौन सा भी शोषण नहीं रहेगा और वैसे ही पूरे दुनिया में जो क्रांतियां हुई है उन क्रांतियों के अंदर से जो कम्यून निकला है और कम्यून के अंदर से एक नया जीवन जीने का जो राह दिखाया है हमें ऐसा लगता है ये सारे जो राह है ये सारे राह के ऊपर हमें चलना है तो ये नया जो समाज बनाना है ये नया समाज बनाए बिना इस देश के अंदर हम अहंतिक आश्रम पॉलिटिक्स नहीं कर पाएंगे और अहंतिक आश्रम पॉलिटिक्स करना है तो पहले ये व्यवस्था के खिलाफ और ये सारे चीजों को भिड़ने के लिए हमें एक साथ आना पड़ेगा तो साथियों सभी साथी हाथों में हाथ हाथ लिए और ऐसा एक नया समाज के तरफ हम सभी को एक कदम आगे बढ़ाना है एक कदम आगे बढ़ाना है चलो रे चलो
और एक कदम आगे बढ़ा के हमें लगता है यहाँ के बुनियादी सवालों को हम भिड़ना चाहिए जब तक यहाँ के बुनियादी सवालों से हम भिड़ेंगे नहीं लड़ेंगे नहीं तो यहाँ पे एंटी कल्चर पॉलिटिक्स हम नहीं कर पाएंगे तो इसीलिए हम यहाँ के लाखों जनता के लाखों जनता को लाखों कार्यकर्ताओं को हम कहना चाहते हैं साथियों कमर कस लीजिए हमें यहाँ से भागना नहीं है इस जंग से हमें भागना नहीं है कमर कस के हमें कहना है भागो मत इस दुनिया को बदलो जातिवाद के खिलाफ सत्ता के 
गिला हमारे साथ शामिल हो पर साथियों ये लड़ाई आप लोगों के सपोर्ट के बजाय ये पूरी नहीं होगी ये जो आंदोलन खड़ा है ये समता कला मंच ये जन आंदोलन है ये लोगों की मदद के बगैर ये पूरा नहीं हो सकता आज समता कला मंच आप लोगों के सभी को पता है कि सभी जो भी आंदोलन रहे हैं सभी में सभी के साथ खड़ा हुआ है पर आज समता कला मंच को आगे चलने के लिए इस आंदोलन को आगे बढ़ाने के लिए आप लोगों की मदद लगने वाली है तो हम आप सभी लोगों से रिक्वेस्ट करेंगे विनती करेंगे कि आप लोग जितना भी हो सके समता कला मंच को इस मूवमेंट को आगे बढ़ाने के लिए आर्थिक स्वरूप में जो भी हो सकता है हमें सपोर्ट कीजिए और हमारी वेबसाइट हम इस प्रोग्राम में जो कमेंट बॉक्स है उसमें डाल देंगे उसी के साथ साथ इस पूरे प्रोग्राम में हमारे जो साथी हैं सभी का आप लोग एक एक करके हम परिचय देंगे यहाँ से सभी लोग अपना अपना परिचय जयविन जयविन मेरा नाम लक्ष्मण कल्लड़ा है मैं समता कला मंच का कार्यकर्ता हूँ मेरा नाम मिलित विचारे है सभी को जय भीम मेरा नाम सुवर्ण सलवे है और मैं समता कला मंच की मुंबई की जय भीम मैं अजय कस्बे मैं समता कला मंच का कार्यकर्ता जय भीम मेघा शिव सागर समता कला मंच की धन्यवाद सभी साथियों का समता कला मंच के लिए इस शानदार प्रदर्शन के लिए हम सभी सीपी प्रोजेक्ट सॉलिडारिटी नेटवर्क और सेंटर फॉर जस्टिस लॉ सोसाइटी के साथ ही समता कला मंच का बहुत बहुत आभार व्यक्त करना चाहते हैं हम इसे अपना सौभाग्य मानते हैं कि इस वेबिनार श्रृंखला के द्वारा हमें आपके साथ ये मंच शेयर करने का मौका मिला और आपकी बहुत ही शानदार प्रोग्राम को देखने का मौका मिला तो इसके लिए बहुत बहुत शुक्रिया Thank you, everyone. I'd like to start by apologizing on behalf of Professor Deepika Jain, who really wanted to be here to close the evening, but unfortunately, owing to electrical supply issues, she's not able to join us today. So I'll proceed to conclude the evening on her behalf. Um, before we close for the evening, we want to take this opportunity to recognize the efforts and labor of all those who have come together to make the series of webinars over the last four weeks possible. We're very grateful to have had the opportunity to engage with the writings and works of scholars and activists, including anti-caste, Dalit, Bahujan, and Adivasi activists and scholars, indigenous persons and groups, and feminist scholars as well as Black feminist writers, activists, and critical scholars. to develop the conceptual framework for a conversation on anti-casteal politics in a post-colonial society like india these writings and works have been instrumental in guiding our efforts towards creating the spaces for these conversations and helping us plan and execute the series of webinars um on behalf of the criminal justice and police accountability project intention solidarity and center for justice law and society at jindal global law school we want to extend our deepest gratitude and thanks to the team from samta kala manch and all of our speakers for the series including our keynote speakers and each of the panelists for the three panels in the last weeks for collaborating with us on this project 
we have been very fortunate to have had the opportunity to learn from each one of you and look forward to taking these conversations and discussions we have engaged in further uh, we also want to acknowledge the tremendous efforts of all of our interpreters for the series including our indian sign language interpreters who have made it possible for us to ensure that the people viewing these series of webinars can engage with these conversations and discussions in a more accessible manner we also want to take this opportunity to thank the id team at jindal global law school who have been very very supportive and instrumental in ensuring that the series of webinars is able to reach our audiences without any interruptions in this time and age of virtual interaction we have all learned to adapt to this new way of engaging and none of these conversations would have been possible without the efforts of vishnu ji and his team at jgls we also want to take a moment to thank our vice chancellor at jindal global law school dr c rajkumar for his unwavering support for all our work uh lastly we also want to thank the entire team from criminal justice and police accountability project including aditi harsh munalini nikita pallavi pujita sanjana samsini vaishali and yashraj both somya and shelja from detention solidarity and all of our interns and research assistants and colleagues from the center for justice law and society including abhaya anmol anusha professor jain joshika kanmani natasha ramani and shanaz each of these individuals have been significant and have made tremendous contributions towards ensuring that the conceptualization and execution of these webinars is possible and we are grateful for all of their efforts over the last few months our final and most important vote of thanks is always to our audience who have taken the time to join us today and engage with us on several platforms including zoom youtube and facebook we are so grateful for you for dedicating your time over a saturday to these very important conversations and we do hope that we have had the opportunity to carry them forward with you um to conclude we just like to inform you that the video for this panel and the performance as well as for all of the conversations that we've held over the course of the last few weeks will be available on our websites as well as on youtube and facebook channels and we will also provide transcripts for the sessions that have been conducted over the last few weeks including the keynote discussion thank you so much everyone for joining us today and we hope you have a good rest of the evening